I'd like to take you to Ephesians chapter 1. Kind of a complicated set of verses, but uh, don't worry, I'll walk you through them, and we'll understand what God is saying to us by his word and by his spirit this morning. I love that, that when we, when we go to the word of God, we are in, in, in this kind of a manner, together corporately as God's people, we're not just we're not just studying, you know, we're not just seeking instruction, I mean, that's true, but, but we are listening for the voice of God, by his word, by his spirit, which will shape us and form us and help us become the people that he intends for us to be, and that's a beautiful thing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and you may have a different version, and that's Awesome. Verse 15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Lord, this is your word, and we are grateful for it. We ask that you would speak to us by your presence, by your spirit, through your word, and through your servant here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would take the, the words that you've given me and allow me to speak those words back to to my brothers and sisters in a way that is clear and compelling and uh, accurate and filled with hope and grace and uh, that we might emerge here in a little bit with a deeper understanding of, of uh, what you've done for us and how you are encouraging us. Lord, we pray that you would, as we sung earlier, truly open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps some of you had the opportunity to see the recent Brad Pitt movie, Ad Astra. Understand, it wasn't Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, it was science fiction, but this was kind of like a meditative, philosophical, almost theological, a deep space exploration. Not terribly exciting in some respects, but... Really interesting, just the same. I remember I, a few weeks ago, Karen and I saw the movie, and I was more than halfway through before 
I realized that I recognized this story. I, I knew this, something about this. I, 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 I wasn't sure if I'd seen this before or I'd read it, and then I realized what it was. This was a deep space uh, remake, so to speak, of Joseph Conrad's classic novel, Heart of Darkness, uh, a, a book that I became aware of through another movie back in the 1970s called uh, Apocalypse Now. It's, a, it's an old book, but it seems to... Uh, strike something in, in the imagination of people today because they keep making movies out of it. <laughs> uh, it's a, a story about a man named Charles Marlowe, a, a kind of a, an adventuresome kind of guy who wanted to explore the world in order to fill in, this is his words, to fill in the blank spaces on his map. I like that expression because I feel that way. I, I get to travel a lot in my work and, and otherwise, and, and I love kind of filling in the blank spaces on the map, you know, going to a place I've never been before and understanding it a little better, you know, getting a sense of things and of places. I, I really enjoy that. Uh, this was Marlowe's heart. He was an adventurer, and so he went to Africa, deep, dark Africa at the time. And, and uh, he went to, to the central part uh, around the Congo, and he... Uh, captained a, a steamship down what we take to be the Congo River, deeper and deeper into the central part of the continent. And as he goes, he hears stories and he experiences various things, and it allows him to investigate and understand his own heart more deeply and uh, more accurately. He gets to uh, this place called Central Station, and while he's there, he meets with a brickmaker who invites him into his home for a meal. And there they discuss what they're observing and what's going on deeper into the country. On the wall of the brickmaker's house is a, a painting of a woman draped in uh, a robe a blindfold over her eyes, holding out a torch, a lighted, flaming torch. Investigating the portrait, the, the painting, Marlowe asks as, it, as to its source and where it's from and what it's about. And apparently this painting was done by a, a man by the name of Kurtz, a mysterious man who had come from England and uh, to attempting to bring civilization with him to Africa. Kurtz apparently was living at the end of the river, the end of Marlowe's journey. So off he goes, to continuing to seek to find this man. Eventually, when he finds him at the end of the river, it's a very disturbing situation. Mr. Kurtz, who was a powerful, charismatic figure who came with all of the trappings of European civilization, intending to bring that to Africa, had fallen into a uh, disturbing situation. When he arrived, the people respected him. They near worshipped him. They came to him for advice, for uh, guidance, for uh, opportunity. But Mr. Kurtz in that situation took that a little too much to heart and began to feel a little too honored 
provide this opportunity, a little too uh, appreciative of the honors that were being given to him. And over time, trapped in this place of isolation and loneliness, in fact, he gave in to his pride and his fears, actually, and created an environment that had become uncivilized, you should say. So Marlowe arrives and meets him and has conversation with Kurtz, who is at this point dying on his bed. And as he lies there on his deathbed, he's reflecting on the loss of his dreams, the fragmentation of his hope, the sense that he was going to develop this great civilization and how it had decayed and turned into just an exercise in pride. And as he lay there speaking his last words, Marlowe has to lean in to hear what he is saying. The horror. The horror. Conrad's point in the novel was that the heart is capable of darkness, a horror that few of us would dare admit. And it's true. I mean, we don't often admit to it. We don't often notice. We go out on a beautiful morning and the sun's shining and everything seems right and good. We enjoy a, a wonderful meal. We have a conversation with friends. We watch an engaging television program. Things seem good. Perhaps because we're not watching very closely. Perhaps because we're not looking very deeply. But I think that Conrad is correct in suggesting that there is a darkness in the heart of man, often underappreciated or underexamined. There is a horror in the heart that few of us dare admit. But the point of the passage that we're going to be looking at here is that Christ brings light to darkened hearts. Our Lord Jesus Christ brings light to hearts that have been dark. So this passage, when uh, it was assigned to me and I re first read it, I was a little bit frightened because it's really complicated <laughs> in one way. And yet, in another way, it's, it's, it's fairly straightforward. I, I counted it up. This is, this is a, what you would call, if you were an editor or a grammar person, this is a run-on sentence. Begins in verse 15, ends verse 27 verses, 167 ver words in my English version here. Um, this is not unusual sometimes in Paul's writings. Uh, Greek language uh, allows for this sort of thing, but in English it can be difficult to decipher. There's just a long string of commas here. This, comma, this, comma, this, comma, this for 167 words, which makes it kind of difficult to to track and to process. But rest assured, we'll, we won't go too quickly, and I'll try and help you understand how this thing is built. 
As you know, we've already observed, this is uh, part of a letter that Paul has written, the Apostle Paul has written to the Ephesian church, people of whom he had a great love for. He had planted this church, he was interested in what was going on there, but of course, as was his practice, he had moved on to other places to establish other churches and ministries, and by the time uh, he gets around to writing this letter, I believe he's actually in prison, uh, and uh, yet he's always left a part of his heart back in the city of Ephesus. Part because of the, the people, presumably they were, they were people of faith and, and wonderful, warm people, but they were living in a very, and, and seeking to practice ministry in a very difficult place where uh, there was a lot of other philosophies and religious expressions and challenges, and it was just a difficult place to live out a Christian commitment. And so Paul always had a part of his heart back there in Ephesus, and here he writes this letter to him, to them, as we've been observing. And I know, uh, you know, the whole art of letter writing is something that we're not as familiar with these days. I'm old enough to remember when you actually receive letters and write like on paper and everything. Now, nowadays, I, you know, I still write letters occasionally, but they're typically very formal uh, things, like when you actually put them on paper and sign your name to them and all of that. It's usually for business purposes. Personal letters seem to be a, a lost art, and now we have emails and text messages and things like that, and, and some of them can be very profound and, and letter-like, but this is this back in the days when people would actually write letters to each other. In this case, it was more than even that. This was uh, a, a letter intended to instruct and guide and to offer theological perspective for the benefit of this community of believers. But the way it's written, of course, there's a greeting, and then there's a, um, some, a blessing that is offered, and then we get to this part, which is described in my text here as, as a thanksgiving and prayer. And that was quite typical. You'll see that in all of Paul's letters. There's a section that is about, uh, you could call it, the thanksgiving portion of the text, where Paul gives thanks for the people and to to God for the people and, and thanking the people themselves. In this case because he has heard of their faith. Verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith, faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So the reason that he is willing to thank them and, and remember them is because of their faith in Jesus, which was exemplary, and their love for one another, and, and well, for others in general, Lord, toward all the saints. For these reasons, Paul gives thanks for them. And as I was reflecting on this, I thought, actually, you know, this provides a pretty good model for us on how we might pray for friends. If you want to think about people you care about in the world, maybe family members, friends, loved ones, or just people generally, and you want to think about how should I pray for them? What, what does it mean to pray for a friend? Well, we've got a pretty good description here. I'd suggest three things based on, on what we read here. The first one is that you remember them. Well, that seems kind of obvious. <laughs> you know, how are you going to pray for somebody if you don't remember them? But I think it's maybe something more than that. It's like remembering them before the Lord, right? You come into the presence of the Lord and you remember people in his presence. I think that's actually pretty awesome. <laughs> you, know, you walk into God, before God, 
you bow your knee and, and you say, Lord, I remember before you my friend Tricia. <laughs> this isn't me. Uh, my friend Katrina. <laughs> my pastor, Wes. <laughs> you remember them. You, you remember experiences that you've had together. Words spoken to one another. You remember those things in the presence of the Lord. And it's really cool how the presence of the Lord can shape your appreciation for and your, uh, your thought, your thought process as it relates to these people that you're remembering. You know what I mean? It's actually a really beautiful thing. And it's really simple. Just bring these people to memory in the presence of the Lord as you pray. Of course, then something, the second thing that's going to happen is going to be very, very natural. You will thank God for them. Because as you remember these people in prayer before the Lord, you're going to remember all kinds of wonderful things that you appreciate. Maybe, maybe just how they smile when you're with them. Maybe something specific that they did for you or for somebody else that you've noticed. So something they've said or something that they challenged. We thank God for them. This is what Paul did for his Ephesian friends. He recognized their faith. He remembered them before the Lord in prayer. And he did not cease, verse 16, to give thanks for them all as he remembered them before the Lord. This isn't hard, right? We can do this. We bring our friends before the Lord. We remember them in his presence and we thank God for them. Thank you, Lord, for Sabrina and her beautiful violin. <laughs> thank you for Don and Akko and how they're at the back making sure we're all behaving ourselves every Sunday morning. <laughs> thank you, Lord. And then a third thing. Because as you remember your friends and as the Lord by his Holy Spirit guides our thoughts about our friends and we thank the Lord for them and for things we've seen in them, we're going to want to ask things for them. And there's a very specific thing that we ask in this text or that Paul asked for his Ephesian friends. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, verse 17 Here's, here's the specific piece, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, boy, that, that's like the formal name, right? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, so this is like bringing all the authority, right? Like, like just the full name. <laughs> the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Like we're, we're addressing this properly. We're recognizing the nature of God here may give you, what? The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Awesome. We remember our friends. We thank God for them. And then thirdly, we ask that the God of all glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would fill us with wisdom. Wisdom. 
by the revelation that he offers us in Christ. Revelation in the knowledge of him. How do you get wisdom? What does wisdom look, look like? Wisdom is knowing Jesus. Like, what I mean by that is understanding through revelation, like, like the God revealing himself, making himself, his word, his truth, his person, his grace, his power, so evident to us that, that, that we're, it, it's been made so available and evident to us that we now see the world differently. We now have wisdom. And that wisdom is very practical and very helpful in the living of our lives. So, but the sentence continues. Remember 167 words. So we got, this keeps building. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And this is my favorite part. <laughs> because I just love this expression. It's so cool. It just, I, when I read it, it just kind of stuck with me. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The eyes of our heart. I love that expression. A heart with eyes. <laughs> yeah, put, put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. A heart with eyes. A heart that can see. A heart that can be wise. Remember, we started by talking about the propensity of our hearts to be dark. This is a heart that is filled with light so that it can see. <laughs> a heart that is wise in the knowledge and revelation of Jesus. This is what Paul wants for his friends. This is what I want for my friends, <laughs> for my family, for myself that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened with the wisdom that comes by revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Cool, huh? <laughs> this is how we pray for a friend. Remember them, thank God for them, and then pray that God would like flood their hearts <laughs> with the light of the knowledge of him that they might be wise. Yes. <laughs> That's good. But the sentence doesn't stop. <laughs> We're not even like a third of the way through. <laughs> that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened. Why? Why? Well, there's a so that here. So that you, they, your friends, the Ephesians, may know three things. What is the hope to which he has called us? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Three things. R riches, <laughs> uh, glory, and an awesome inheritance. Oh, sorry, sorry, I got that wrong. Hope, riches, and, and a glorious inheritance. Hope, riches, and glory. So this is the so what. This defines the nature of wisdom that we will receive. So we pray, remember, watch, 
and then pray for the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, which results in wisdom, and this is what wisdom looks like. Wisdom looks like knowing that you have hope. Because it doesn't always feel like that in the world, right? Like you're pedaling really hard, you're, you're trying to make ends meet by the end of the month, pay the bills, deal with the, the trauma, you know, like the, 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 the latest crisis that brought by your employer or by your children or by yourself. <laughs> just, just trying to deal with the stuff, right? And we're, and we're pressing hard, we're working hard, and it feels like, man, some days it, you just wonder if you got enough gas in the tank, right? Like, like, like if there's going to be enough hours in the day, going to be enough money in the account, there's going to be enough energy, you know, to, to get there, to do what you need to do, to be who you need to be. It's just, it just like, I don't know, you know, can I make, are we going to hang on? Am I smart enough? Am I strong enough? Am I okay? I just, like, and it's all about what I have and, and just sometimes just not sure I have an, any hope, right? Because if it's all on me, that's difficult. And that becomes painful and frustrating and discouraging and it leads to darkness. And that darkness can take root in a person's heart and it can cripple and shrink things and block things and make things painful and it, can, and it, just, it just builds, right? It just gets worse. Except that we are praying that God, by his spirit of wisdom, would, would flood our hearts with light so that we could see that all of those things are not actually true. <laughs> that in Christ, we actually have hope. And you need to understand how the Bible uses the word hope. It's not like, oh man, I hope I have enough money. I hope I have enough time. That's how we use the word hope. That's not how the Bible uses the word hope. Bible uses the word hope as like a certain thing. Like it, it, it's like announcing the future in the present. It's like describing what we might not yet have physically, but we do have in Christ, and, and we're just making that clear in our minds. This is hope. The future is now, right? This is the things the Bible describes about our inheritance is real, actually. What appears on the surface is not the actual thing. And this is what we mean by living in faith. Right? So we have this hope. It's a certain, it's a done deal, as they say. It's a certain thing. But we have this hope to which we've been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You, you know that, speaking of movies, you know, remember that uh, Scotiabank commercial at the beginning of every movie? It says, you, you know what it says, you're richer than you think. You're richer than you think. You are. You are. In Christ. You are richer than you think. Richer than your bank account tells you. <laughs> Richer than the uh, mortgage broker <laughs> will tell you. You're, you're, you're richer than you think. You are rich according to this hope, this glorious inheritance in the saints. Glorious inheritance. It's a done deal, folks. Like in Christ, we have been given everything that we could imagine or need. 
Okay, this is a certain thing. Remember, the, the sentence continues. How do we know that's true? Like, on what, that sounds like a big promise, right? It sounds kind of, are we sure? Well, yeah, I'm sure. Why? Verse 19, you just keep reading. The, the, the hope we are called, the riches of its glorious inheritance as a saint, the, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, like, understand what he's saying here. We say, like, okay, really? I've got this hope? Really? I'm this rich? Really? I've got this inheritance? Yes, really. Well, how? That's a big ask. How? Well, no big deal, according to the uh, power that raised Jesus from the dead. The, the, the mighty working that overcame death and corruption and allowed Jesus to live forever. That's the power that makes these things possible for us. Well, what, what right does, does, do we have to, to, to realize this or does God have to give us this? Well, the right is, we keep reading, this is, this is the Christ who is raised from the dead, seated at the right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The power, the dominion, the authority of Jesus. That's the right by which we've been given this power to achieve these purposes that uh, allows us to see the world in an enlightened and wise way that we might be encouraged and have faith for which others will give thanks. See what I did there? I just worked backwards. <laughs> let's, try, let's try this again. Let's see if we can unravel this 167-word sentence. <laughs> we recognize and remember our friends in the presence of God because we, we, we remember their faith. We remember the love that they have shown us and that they have shown others. We remember that before God and we thank God for it. And then we pray that God would build on that <laughs> by, by, with wisdom brought by the revelation of Jesus Christ himself that, 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 we, that the eyes of our heart might be filled with light instead of darkness. Hearts of brightness instead of hearts of darkness so that we could understand what we really have and who we really are people of hope people who are gloriously rich in christ people who have a, an inheritance that will never be taken away produced by the power the same power that raised jesus from the dead according to his glory, his power, his dominion, his authority in this world and the world to come. Christ brings light to darkened hearts. Amen? He brings light to darkened hearts. My brother, when we were young and growing up, my brother was four years younger than me, and I remember he, when he got really frustrated with our parents. 
I used to laugh because I wasn't a very sympathetic brother sometimes. <laughs> but I, I would watch my brother getting frustrated with mom and dad. And my brother would say, you don't know my heart. Which was both true and untrue. <laughs> I mean, it was untrue in the sense that parents kind of get their kids. Like, like, you know, I've been a parent. And I, 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 you know, I, I, I could see the frustration. I know what's going on largely in, in my children's hearts. But at the same time, the heart is a deep thing, right? It's a deep reservoir of, of mystery. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's a part of our heart that, that, that we don't even know ourselves half the time, right? Yeah, so I could sympathize with my brother. Uh, there's a philosopher, a theologian, uh, Charles Henry Parkhurst, who, who said, um, how do you put it? The heart knows things that the brain could never understand. <laughs> you know? And we understand that, I think. It's, uh, in the Bible, when it talks about the heart, it's not just talking about the, the fleshly organ that resides in your chest. It's talking about something more profound than that, actually. I mean, it chooses to express it in terms of the physical heart because of the central... Uh, nature of the heart and how it animates the body, <laughs> or, or at least allows, you know, life and blood and stuff to pump that allows us to walk and move and have our being. But in the Bible, it's more than that. The heart is, it's more than just the mind. It, the, the heart is describing that, that full and fundamental aspect of who we are at the core, in, in the, the, the deepest sense of who you or I are before God and before everything within the universe. This is the kind of the most fundamental expression of who I am, my, my heart. Which is why that song we sang is so awesome. That we would ask the Lord, as it suggests in the passage we just read, that he would open the eyes of our heart that we might see him. Because when we see him, this is the thing, right? When you see God, when you see Jesus, and you understand the implications of everything we just read, when you realize what he's done for us, how he's forgiven us, the grace he's given, the opportunity that's before us, the riches, the, the, the glory, the inheritance, the hope, when we see that, it changes everything. It changes everything. And this expression, the eyes of the heart, I, I looked it up online to, to see, you know, I just typed in eyes of the heart, found all kinds of things. There's a Japanese fashion designer who's quite famous. It, you know, it, it, maybe you've seen this stuff. It's like this image of a, of a big red heart with big eyes on it. <laughs> there's, there's a, <laughs> it's true, look it up. There's, there's, a, uh, there's a play, which sounds really interesting. I haven't seen this play. It's called The Eyes of the Heart. And I'd love to see this, though. It's, it's about the experience of, of uh, many uh, women from Cambodia during the period of the killing fields. And apparently there was a, a, a phenomenon that happened among many women that came out of that, that situation where they became blind uh, psychosomatically and, and, and because of the horrors that they experienced in that place at the time. And uh, so this is a play about one of those women who comes back to, comes to America 
as an immigrant and uh, is being treated by a doctor and she teaches the doctor more about seeing through the heart than the doctor is able to teach her about seeing through her eyes. I think that's really interesting. I think of that um, image from Heart of Darkness of the, of the woman with the blindfold holding a torch. It's, it's, it's like an oxymoronic image, holding forth the light and yet not being able to see. We need to pray that God would open the eyes of our heart and shine his light upon us. That we would not have hearts of darkness, but hearts of light. Bright hearts illuminated by the wisdom and knowledge of God, by this revelation. Lord, give us those kind of hearts that can see. Hearts with eyes that know wisdom, that can see things not for, uh, the, you know, the, the stuff on the surface, but to see things the way they really are. It's, it's ironic. Uh, in, in the book, uh, uh, Mr. Kurtz, he comes with all of the brightness of European civilization. And yet, as the book progresses, his vision shrinks and shrinks and shrinks into ever-increasing darkness. Be the, the, the more carefully he observes, the darker that brightness appears. Whereas in this text, Paul's encouragement to the Ephesians is the, uh, in, in the exact opposite direction that God would shine his light upon our hearts so that we can see the world with greater clarity. And so we understand our times with greater precision and we know the wisdom that Christ has came to offer us. I, um, I had lunch uh, a, a few days ago with a, a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, who is uh, a little bit older than me, and uh, he, I, I was quite surprised. I didn't know this. We're, we're, he, he just happened to mention toward the end of the meal that he had just uh, come back from his second heart surgery. Oh, man. He seemed great. <laughs> you know, he didn't seem to be concerned about what he was eating. He, he looked really healthy, but two heart surgeries. Like, it's incredible these days what you can do with light and lasers, you know to get inside a heart and to clear blockages, you know, and to free up pathways, like, like arteries and things. Like it's, it's incredible, the power of light to penetrate and to make clear and to animate life, eternal life, by his wisdom. I just encourage you right now, just, just right now, to... Remember some of your friends. Maybe they're sitting beside you or, or somewhere else in the room right now. Here as we've gathered in the presence of our Lord, just to remember, maybe, maybe one of your children, if you have, a, have one, uh, a parent, uh, a colleague, a neighbor, 
bring that person, maybe two or three of them, bring them into the presence of the Lord. Remember them before the Lord just right now. And thank the Lord for them. Just in this moment, prayerfully, for these people God has brought to mind, these people you've remembered in his presence, thank the Lord for them, something, for something they did for you, for something they said, for their presence in your life, for what that presence offers you. Thank the Lord. And then that's together for all of these people. In a, in a crowd this, this, this size, we must be imagining hundreds of people right now. And Lord, we, we, we remember them before you. We thank you for them. And we pray now, Lord, for these children, these parents, these neighbors, these friends, these colleagues, these associates. Lord, may you open the eyes of their heart. May you give them hearts that can see. May you shine the light of uh, your revealed light that, that brings wisdom into their hearts that they might trust you. That they might take off the blindfold and see the flaming torch that the challenges and frustrations of their lives, of our lives, might be clearly illuminated, that we might understand that if we were to only reach out and take your hand, that we might know hope and riches and glory in this age and in the age to come. Lord, our eyes have been darkened. Our hearts have been hardened, corrupted by the spirit of this age, the sham brightness of this world. Lord, shine your light, your, the laser light of your truth, your scripture, your son, the power that is capable of raising your son from the dead. Take that power, that light, and shine it on our hearts that our hearts might be repaired, that we might be forgiven, and that we might know in Christ, not the horror, the horror, but the honor, the honor, the holiness, the hope, the humility that comes from walking with you, with eyes that see the light of your glory. May it be, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.